Live from the center of the earth, girth. Yeah, yeah just miming and just like, and uh, doing the robot. You actually had a good robot or kind of like a mime dance early in the film. Did yeah, I? you do a bit of this. Yeah. In the, uh, in, in, in the <laughs> Reposado. You know why? Because we have this big dance sequence, which I oh, that's right. don't want to talk yeah, about yeah. too much, but uh, we have a dance sequence in the, <laughs> later in the film, right, where she goes really crazy. It makes crazy. sense, yeah. So we wanted that one to be very kind of restrained. Yeah, I was just, I was just, I guess when we did that, I was just thinking about how Lillian would dance and also how I would probably dance if I were feeling like slightly awkward. And, you know, like, I always feel like when people are sort of self-consciously dancing, it's all like in the hands. Right. Like, yeah, I don't think I would. <laughs> I would do something very awkward, but I, I, the hand thing really surprised me in a great way. But I would never. Yeah. But you're right. I do. do so that. there was improv even with the, the hand dancing or the robot mime dancing. I don't know how you would even call it. The Lillian dance. Yeah. I mean, I guess if I were to like, if it was conscious, mm-hmm. like probably. Oh, by the way, are we going? Yes. Oh, shoot. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Why? We were we we're talking about dancing. It's a very important part of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think I think with that scene, if I had actually sort of thought about what I was doing, I probably just uh, was thinking about the context and like the the feeling or like the mood that Lillian would have had. Sort of, I guess the the dance moves were some form of alchemy. Yeah. Because <laughs> they were magical, weren't they? They were <laughs> unexpected. Yeah. But I think that's great. And also, I think there's something, as someone who's danced in a blazer more times than I care to admit. Oh, we're there getting is into a, the dirt already. There is a stiffness to it, right? It's true. You have to and kind so, of keep your shoulder Because typically when you dance, you want to like get your shoulders into it. Well, when one dances. I do, yeah. But that's, a, <laughs> but that's a funny thing, I think, about her character and the way that she dresses. And I remember us talking about this when we shot the very first thing before we shot the feature. We shot this little demo. And you, Naomi, talking about there was such a different feeling to the physicality of the character as soon as you got into those outfits because they were so restrictive. Yeah, it was like it, it was like dancing or sometimes acting or just moving in like a suit of armor. Because like when you're buttoned all the way up to that top button and like tucked in that's not the way i ever dress um right that it really kind of just like it works its way into your posture and your bearing and even just the way you speak it's almost like a girdle (laughs) (laughs) yeah or a straight jacket yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i really it's funny i did think sometimes i was like i almost could like imagine myself creaking as i moved around hence the suit of armor i also perceive myself as being a knight of sorts. No, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Sir Lillian. <laughs> so, since we already started talking about the dancing, I want you to introduce yourselves and um, who you are, what you played uh, or what you did for uh, Dim the Fluorescence, the movie that we're talking about. And uh, you had a tweet on November 1st, and I want to reference that. You said, uh, really, I just want to be alone in Shopper's Drug Mart. Do you remember <laughs> this tweet? Yes, I do. So, <laughs> Who you are, what you did for Dim the Fluorescence, and if you were all alone in Shopper's Rugmar, what would you want to do? Those are the three things. So we'll start with you. Wait, sorry. Say those three questions again. Who are you? In real life. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, what you did for Dim the Fluorescence, and if you were all alone in Shopper's Rugmar, what would you like to do? Okay. So You got this. I'm pretty sure you're the first two. You got this. Yeah. Um, I just had to square it away first before I... Um, 
start doling out my answers. Okay, number one, my name is Naomi Squarna. I I live in this city, Toronto. That's who I am. Um, number two, I mm-hmm. I uh, play Lillian um, mm-hmm. in Dim the Fluorescence. And if I were alone in Shoppers Drug Mart, well, first of all, how much time do I have? <laughs> Unlimited, and there's no cameras. I even up it. Well, no. I would truthfully, I would probably go. go straight to the pharmacy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That works. Oh, that's how you're introducing yourself. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I no cameras. First... I'm going for drugs. <laughs> many, many drugs. <laughs> Prescription drugs. <laughs> no, I just want. I just want to look at the packaging, Daniel. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I am um... good. Save. That sounds no, think... so high. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to yeah. look at drug packaging. <laughs> that okay. Yeah. No, I think tr- truthfully, I would probably start. I would probably start by going into like the you know. In shoppers, they have like all of the Ziploc sealed bags of snacks, like like chocolate covered almonds and stuff. Yep. I'd probably like open up several of them and just try a few of each because they're usually they're like six ninety nine or something. Sometimes they're on sale. Though. Is that because you have the munchies from doing the drugs in the <laughs> pharmacy, or is that just that's your actual answer? <laughs> <laughs> is that from all the Thorazine? Or no, I didn't. I'm not. I would start with the snacks. I would pr- probably, I also have this thing. I get really, um, I, there are so many antiperspirant options and <laughs> I just, I, I would really love to just open them all up and smell all of them so that I can, I really know what I'm missing when I, <laughs> <laughs> when I just get the same kind over and over again. Right. Um, probably same with toothpaste. Mm, um, smell all the toothpaste. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I really do a little mimes rubbing on gums. (laughs) There's no cameras. Yeah, no, you're right. I'm, I know, but now I'm starting to get self-conscious about waste. I'd go to the pharmacy. That's right. That's your final answer. After all that, we went from like three different sections and pharmacy candy magazines. There we go. Okay, (laughs) you didn't say magazines till just now. I know, because I just thought of it. It's. Where do you begin in Shoppers Drug Mart? <laughs> this is why I asked. This was an important question. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and you, sir? Uh, hey, my name is Daniel Worth. I co-wrote, I directed, I uh, was one of the producers, and I edited Tim the Fluorescence. And in a Shoppers Drug Mart, I would probably be uh, eating chocolate. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's the thing I think I would go for. Maybe razors, because those are expensive. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah and then yeah. but not for any nefarious purpose, just because they're kind of like yeah, overpriced yeah. and yeah. And now when they make that little ding noise too, you can just grab a whole bunch. Yeah, and yeah. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah, in this, in this hypothetical shoppers drug part edition of the purge, okay, <laughs> yeah. just buy some razors and some mini eggs and shave my face and have a nice. Night. <laughs> You're gonna say shave your eggs? I'd shave my eggs. <laughs> um, so I'd shave my chocolate. eggs. <laughs> yes. No cameras. Oh, shaving my mini eggs. Uh, yeah. I think uh, you got into the pharmacies with this one over here. Yeah. So. Yeah. We can we can um we can t- like take the wings separately. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll first you take we the take... east wing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. All right. Those are good answers. Uh, my you. name is Sam Unin, and this is my summer layer. Thank you for coming in and talking about dim the fluorescence. So we've already established uh, shoppers drug mart, <laughs> and we've established dancing. So we're well on our way. Yeah. What else do you need? I think that's it. Actually, thanks for coming in. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, but I do want to touch upon one of the aspects of the film, is, which is that, especially for you, Daniel, you shot a lot of Toronto, and like you can clearly see Toronto and certain landmarks and certain institutions of Toronto and stuff like that. Is the film kind of or sort of a love letter to Toronto? Or is it just you just happen to be in Toronto and then just wanted to shoot Toronto? I mean, I don't, I don't think that from the script stage it was like, oh, this is, uh, we've got to really like show Toronto or anything. But yeah, I mean, it's the city that most of us are from and, and it's the city we shot in. And so I think when you're in a space, you kind of look to the space to be like, what, what, what feels right for the film? And, and in certain cases, yeah, that's what we decided. Certain neighborhoods would ev- evoke a certain feeling. And yeah, it ends up kind of having this Toronto, feeling for people that are in Toronto, but it's funny because we've screened the film a lot in the United States and people don't always know that it, it was shot in Canada. So what do they think of it? Pittsburgh or <clears throat> yeah, New York I, or yeah, I don't think New York, but I, I feel like we've heard that it has a Chicago feeling and yeah, it's a, I, I think people don't necessarily feel that it is overly torontonian if they're not from toronto but if you're from toronto obviously you're like oh wow that's mm-hmm. you know that's liberty village and that's this and that's that and that's this ossington strip or whatever yeah yeah or like when the streetcar goes by i find street- every everyone's always like oh the streetcar yeah yeah like- and it's a funny thing there's i feel like this is a downtown toronto thing too but there's a lot of like budget trucks and rental trucks that sometimes when you're filming, it feels like it, it looks like a mistake. Mm-hmm. Like you filmed the crew truck or something, yeah. but it's just there. <laughs> and there are certain pivotal moments where there are those trucks, but they, they weren't ours. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing, too, as as somebody who, like walking downtown. Sometimes you'll be down on a, a street, and they shoot a lot of different films here on King Street. And you'll just be walking, all of a sudden you pass by like a blue U.S. post box. Yeah, yeah, like, totally. And another mailbox or something that says New York Post or something. You're yeah. like, whoa, I just wandered into New York City. And it's just like a block ago was on King Street. Yeah, and you're, again, it's like the opposite of what we were just talking about. But you're, as a Torontonian who's been to New York, you're kind of like, ah, this isn't quite New Yeah. <laughs> like I remember working, I worked uh, on Elm Street, like close to Young and Dundas years and years ago when they were shooting the incredible hulk yeah i was there for, i watched a lot of that with yeah. uh, edward norton in it and it was just that yeah they had kind of turned like a random porno theater they'd given it a marquee that said the apollo or something and i was like oh okay yeah <laughs> but it's uh, in that movie when they're in i don't know where they're supposed to be in harlem, harlem. Yeah. that's why they trans they transform young and dundas into harlem like, yeah that's not even close and i was like oh that's harlem's <laughs> sam the record man like it's a yeah. bizarre <laughs> yeah it's a bizarre feeling but yeah Lies. It's hard to get the scale of New York in Toronto, right? The buildings are so large, the sidewalks are so wide, and, yeah, and and all that. So when you're in, yeah, there's nothing like that in in Toronto. And you start off with the script. How did um, you decide then to like this was the story you want to tell? How, like out of all the different types of movies or things you could tell, why mm-hmm. why sit down and hammer this one out? Uh, well, I had an experience. So I was filming corporate seminars. Uh, as a job. And obviously, I'm more interested in directing films and things like that. So it was, I was kind of doing something similar to what Audrey and Lillian are doing in the film, which is taking their theatrical aspirations and kind of funneling them through this corporate training demonstration work. And I was kind of in a similar boat. And I happened to film this one seminar that had actors in it. And it really was a kind of, I don't know, it was a transformative experience for me, because I was sitting there filming this person leading a sort of PowerPoint presentation for like an hour. And then an hour in, they brought out these two actors who were the same age, 
and one played the other's father with Alzheimer's. Wow. And they were crying and it was like, Dad, you, you, you don't remember. You have to get you have to go into a home. Like you can't be behind the wheel or whatever. And this the dad crying and and then it was all done at the for- foot of this boardroom table while there were five or six people going, nodding their heads and taking notes. And then after this kind of harrowing scene where two people who are, again, the same age were playing father and son, they said, okay, well, the, the person leading the lecture was like, okay, lots to unpack there. Let's talk about it. And they talked about it for another hour. And I was like, that was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in my <laughs> yeah. life. I've never seen anything like that. And it was just this experience that I found so funny and so kind of sad in a way, but also strangely inspiring because I don't think I was taking my corporate work as seriously as a director. I was going, okay, well, this is basic stuff, you know. And at the same time, I saw these actors who were really giving it their all and weren't phoning it in, didn't care about the circumstances they were in, but they were really just doing the best they could. And I was inspired by that in spite of finding it very funny and very sad. So I think those feelings all together kind of suggested the initial seed of this idea. And then once I started working um, with Miles, my co-writer on the film, it, we just kind of came by it. Honestly, we, we were trying to write a short and it just expanded. And yeah, we felt like there's more to explore here with these characters and we kind of fell in love with the characters and wanted to know more about them. And it, it, it evolved into a feature. And for you, Naomi, is this your film debut? <clears throat> yes, uh, feature film. Yeah, feature I've, film. I've made some like little shorties, but <laughs> little shorties. <laughs> uh, this is my feature film debut. Yes. What attracted you to this project? Uh, oh well, probably just um, what attracted me to this project. Well, I think I I came into it in a sort of unusual way because um, uh, I. At the time, I wasn't really an actor, um, but Daniel and I went to high school together. And um, I think as he was just thinking about casting the film, which at that point in time was supposed to be a little shorty, um, he was just bringing people in and he asked me to come in and I thought, this is unusual. I will go out of curiosity. And I think it just, I didn't actually expect anything to come of it. So it was just this process of kind of continuing to um, say yes to things and coming, coming to like really like become great friends with Daniel and Miles and Claire um, Armstrong, who is uh, the other lead in the film. Um, Your sidekick and all the ruckus. Uh, we are each other's sidekicks, perhaps, um, if that's possible. Uh, in all the ruckus. In in all of the ruckus. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, what honestly, if I were to say what attracted me to it, it was just like I liked hanging out with Daniel and Miles and Claire. Like it was just a fun context to be in. I never thought it would like turn into something real. This is something that still shocks me. No offense, Daniel. No, this was a few years ago too. And it's yeah. so many different Well I was iterations. looking I was looking I uh so I'm a writer typically in my in typically um in my life I I write and I wrote something about this working on this film and I so I was going through my old emails and realized that the first time I like saw Daniel after 
not having seen him since high school was uh, in April of 2013. So that was like the very beginning. And then mm-hmm. basically from then to here, we've just been kind of like hanging out and getting to know each other. Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of organically grown for all of us. And yeah. none of us knew how long it would take until <laughs> it took that long, you know? Indie film. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I probably if I, if I had said from the outset, like, I need you for the next four years, <laughs> you might not have been so It might have been that. more, because it's, it's hard to think that far ahead. It's daunting. You, you can't plan for that. But because it was so gradual, we, uh, like, I was think like, I don't think I've ever been as committed to anything as this. <laughs> Well, especially Naomi, because your work, you do theater criticism, uh, you do interviews. This must be kind of weird to be on this side of the table, isn't it? Oh, not weird, <laughs> but definitely different. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so you kind of, you see the finished product, right? Like when you sit down with somebody, you're talking to them about the movie or you're talking to them like, are you reviewing some sort of show or some sort of play? So you just see the finished product. Like you get the punchline in a sense. Now you're involved in like making the whole like joke. I don't mean to mean like, but you know what I'm saying? Like in terms yeah. of analogy. So was that kind of uh, a unique twist in terms of that process, that creative process? Or did you just kind of just roll with it and it wasn't, wasn't a big thing for you? No, it was it was quite different. I think certainly in in my when we were filming and sort of dealing with the script, I think I had to sort of adjust the way I think about something and, and uh, like approach it. Like I was looking at the script. My job wasn't to try and understand the entire script, but rather just understand what my character was supposed to do, or that's not even a good way of putting it. (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah, I just had to reorient and maybe ask different questions and also probably try to, pay attention to different things it's harder it's definitely harder i think maybe because when you're an interviewer or you're or you're you're coming to something after the fact and looking at it and viewing it you see the whole thing you don't see everything that built up to that so you can it's a it's a more clear path to criticism that being said i think there i had like so much pleasure and kind of creative like i don't know what to to call them like revelation seems to like too big a word but there were times when we were making this film where i felt like i was just i was having thoughts and perceiving things that i never had before so it was good (laughs) and so daniel you decide then you get inspired you see this like corporate seminar on alzheimer's and you sit down with miles your corporate (laughs) Yeah. yeah, right. It was about mediation, but yeah, mediation. Alzheimer's was <laughs> yeah. but a canvas. Sorry. And, yeah, <laughs> and um, you decide to sit down and write this uh, and put this film together, and it mm-hmm. goes from being a short to a feature. Yeah. You also reach out to the Indiegogo community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How was that experience? Because this is kind of in the last couple of years in terms of indie filmmaking, uh, it's a good resources, especially because we're the grant system is kind of drying up a little bit. So this is a good opportunity to kind of get out there and kind of see if there's a market there for what you're making. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a peculiar situation when you're trying to make a kind of what you hope is an entertaining art house film because it doesn't fit exactly into the mandate of certain arts funding bodies. 
that are more like art focused. But then it also, you're an independent film and a kind of strange film. It makes it tricky. It's a tricky proposition for a lot of the, the major film financing bodies. And so you find yourself in this bizarre region in between the two where you have to kind of prove yourself to people. And, and, and luckily we do. I mean, I think the grant system is, is great here. And we were lucky enough to get some money from the Ontario Arts Council. But it was hard to finance a whole feature. And so, yeah, the Indiegogo thing was very exciting, that prospect. I'd done it on a short film before, and it went well for us. So we just, I was lucky that everybody was kind of on board to participate in the materials that we wanted to create for it, because we made a lot of videos and things to help promote it. And yeah, we just really worked hard to kind of present those materials in a way that gave you a sense of the feeling of the film, even though they were, you know, different things. It was, it was, the goal was to tell people what the film would be like and communicate the tone and the characters and everything. So yeah, I, I, it was very helpful for us. And, uh, yeah, it would have been hard to do without that, for sure. I don't know where that money would have come from. So Indiegogo was hugely helpful, and they were supportive also. I didn't know this from my first short film experience, but I was actually able to, like, sit down with someone from Indiegogo and um, get their advice and sort of... They, w- they were checking in regularly about how the campaign was going and all that. And that, that was so wonderful for us. Yeah, yeah, they're really supportive of the creative arts. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, and, uh, that's and, why I was asking because it's a, it's a great thing that we've had in the last couple of years, this kind of crowdfunding. And, for sure, and yeah. And you can also see, too, if your audience or your community is digging it, too, if they're yes. liking the ideas and things like that, right? So Yeah, yeah. That's, that's an important aspect of things like you know Indiegogo, Kickstarter, Patreon. Is it kind of like people are more likely to support things that they feel they've helped create. And so with Indiegogo, like I I think like the people who contributed, they're the ones who are often like asking questions about when it's coming out or when they can see it in their city. They become like they're fans, but they're also, I think they, they feel like they're a part of it. And so they're kind of like, invested in it in a different way which and they're is definitely, cool too they definitely are a part of it i mean a big yes part oh of yeah. It. yeah yeah like it would be like i said it would have been very difficult to do without that so and i don't know how we would have done it so it's nice yeah that people have that investment in it before it even exists and then once it actually is in a festival or it's coming out there's already this kind of group of people clamoring to mm-hmm. see it and telling their friends like hey i believe in this in this movie and um my name is at the end and yeah yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> totally and so from the seminar about mediation to yeah. writing it to Indiegogo, mm-hmm. what is now the basic premise of uh, Dim the Fluorescence? Because it must have changed, obviously, as it kind of went along. As you, But what is the basic premise of the movie? Of the story, kind of? Yeah. yeah. Well, initially, what, it, like, what I was interested in was the uh, experience of an actor who goes through that. And once I started working with Miles, we talked about making it a film. Um, and this is very early on, obviously. Um, making it a film about a duo, an actor and a writer who are basically conceiving of and executing these things in lieu of what they consider to be, you know, real art, doing yeah. uh, plays and, uh, and, and for the actor character, Audrey, doing, you know, TV and film. So that initial seed of the idea was there pretty early on as soon as Miles and I started working on it together. 
but yeah, it's essentially, it's a film about the friendship between an actor and a playwright who have found this kind of niche doing corporate role-playing demonstrations. And because they're actual desired careers haven't really worked out the way they wanted this gig has become the outlet for those you know ambitious ambitious ambitions so it's you get to see how everything that they want to do uh, gets funneled into that it, be, it becomes a way to do like let's do these immersive site-specific theatrical performances with lighting trickery and sound design and who is this who is this difficult customer who is this character they rehearse that and figure that out for a long time and they work very collaboratively but that basic disappointment with how their lives have turned out is always there and it it really gradually eats away at them through the film and what happens is they're offered this gig which for them is very big it's a five to seven minute performance at a hotel conference for about 300 uh, office employees the Broadway version basically and that's the yeah exactly that becomes the biggest gig of their lives and so preparing for this ostensibly unimportant thing which is you know going to be a seven minute performance in between all these PowerPoint presentations it becomes this it's so important for it to succeed that it sort of kind of ruins their lives a bit and it brings all of these kind of sublimated conflicts between them to the surface and so uh, some of those conflicts are funny uh, and some of them are quite sad. Uh, and the film kind of follows their relationship as it sort of is tested by the pressure of this big gig that probably nobody else really cares about except for the two of them, you know? And that's kind of the, an underlying irony in the film is if they said to the, you know, their employee, hey, we actually can't do it, they'd probably be like, okay, no problem. To them, it's it's destroying their lives because of the pressure to succeed and this uh, how they view it as this huge, huge opportunity. I also found it kind of uh, ironic that they the two girls were doing a lot of these kind of like self help type seminars, mm -hmm. uh, corporate work, things like that, and they didn't really seem to learn any lessons from that. Like their work was kind of more. It's like almost like you do like an after school special, like don't do drugs, but then the actors still do drugs after the. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like, there is. That there's idea. like a there's a gap there between what they were actually kind of preaching and doing, mm -hmm. and what they who they were living and how they were living. Yeah, yeah it's just the form their ambition takes. It, yeah, it yeah. could go in any direction, and it's kind of like the brief, like for their job. <laughs> yeah. So they're not necessarily thinking about it in those terms, but yeah, they do end up. And a funny thing that just kind of accidentally happened. When Miles and I would write their performances, as we would realize, oh, like we didn't mean to, but they're kind of like admitting something pretty terrible or pretty big about their lives in this performance that probably didn't occur to them, right? And even though it's so, it might seem kind of broad and 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 silly given the the context of it being like a workplace safety demonstration or whatever. But once you know more about the characters and you re-examine where that presentation fits in their lives it's like oh you know if you knew them you'd be like oh they i don't think they mean to be telling us this about this like traumatic experience they've suppressed or this conflict between them or you know in the very first scene audrey's character who is the 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 actor in the partnership um has this monologue about how her life didn't turn out the way she wanted how she expected to be somewhere else but is stuck here and she's sobbing and it's totally part of this performance and it's totally ridiculous because it's basically meant to inform 
why she's such a difficult customer on the other end of, uh, end of the phone. But it does kind of end up being Authentic. a confession, yeah. right in the right in the middle of the uh, of the first scene in the film, and that kind of stuff. It was funny. We we found as we were writing the film that. It was like we were Audrey and Lillian, like accidentally sneaking in these very personal things about them and going, oh my God, like I didn't, it didn't occur to me that, you know, that's obviously really personal for them. I like that stuff. And, and the things like that are kind of hard to do if you're trying to do them on purpose. But when they work out that way, it's, it's exciting because it feels very authentic to me. And Naomi, for you, uh, the character you play, Lillian, she had a great blazer collection. We were kind of talking about oh, this yeah. off air. <laughs> kind of once you put that blazer on was that kind of the, the cementing uh like characteristic for your character that whole kind of like boxed in kind of rigid did you see her as somebody was rigid or did you see her as kind of like repressed or oppressed i think rigid is actually a great word for mm-hmm. it like she uh s- sort of um yeah c- kind of like Im- imposed structure on her own life and others um, Audrey's and sort of her expectations of the life she was going to lead and then and then kind of just filled filled it in with whatever she was underneath um, even if she did even if even if Lillian did maybe want to like cut loose at times be something different she always kind of snapped back to that blazer shape <laughs> like a couch groove or something <laughs> yes yeah it was like sharp shoulders and the <laughs> yeah, and I think one of the I- one of the ideas I had when we were trying to figure out, I was working with uh, Jillian Kovacek, who did the uh, costumes for the film, trying to figure out how the characters would look. You know, Audrey's character is not the way she presents herself is that she's doing this corporate thing right now, but there's all this other there's all these other irons in the fire, and so she doesn't really associate herself with that. Whereas Lillian seems pretty committed to this and doesn't see outside of it much. And so I liked this idea just visually that Lillian's character would dress in more of a kind of corporate suit way. um, And Audrey wouldn't, it was almost like this is a, you know, very esoteric bit of backstory that isn't there in the film, but it's almost like they had all these costumes for the film and slowly but surely those ended up, becoming part of her wardrobe so when her real clothes fell apart she threw them out but she still had these blazers and then gradually (laughs) it became how she dressed and you see that right in the second scene of the film right after they do that first performance or i guess not the second scene but early on in the film is that you realize after it like audrey doesn't dress like that at all and lillian totally does the same kind of style as her character in that first scene. So you got these two people kind of wearing a theatrical version of corporate people. And then you see Audrey in real life and she's not dressed like that at all. And you see Lillian in real life and that is how she dresses. Yeah. So that distinction from the corporate work doesn't exist in, in, in Lillian's wardrobe. It's almost like method acting in a way. Yeah. There's no off switch. Yes. For Lillian. Like she's just, in this world and like that's the way she dances and that's the everything like she's just in this little box almost like a mime or something yeah yeah it's like in this desire to always be in charge she's just always wearing a costume that makes her feel like that um and carries that everywhere and she structures everything else as much as she can 
with the same kind of leadership mm -hmm. role and, you know, delegating and saying, you know, just in their personal lives, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. You handle this, I'll do this, and we'll get it done this way by this time. And, you know, it's, she structures everything. You guys have been doing some of the film festivals and like both of you kind of gone to some Q and A's and things like that. How yeah. are audiences kind of reacting and they kind of getting the jokes and they, uh, they like the friendship between the two girls and. I'm shocked at how funny th people find certain moments, which I, which to me, I, 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 I think they stopped being funny a long time ago. Not because I think just because, uh, when we were doing them, they felt, they felt emotional and so it's interesting to hear when people when people laugh at certain things and then other things i i actually realized they were funny because i heard people laugh at them just certain daniel as an editor among other things is extremely gifted at like highlighting certain moments and like long pauses but then also quick quick cuts and so a lot of humor came in there that i i didn't expect when we were filming it but yeah the i think i have felt when We've gone to certain festivals and um, been in Q and A's. People seem to seem to be really like have a real like tenderness towards the characters who are so flawed, so clearly flawed. But yeah. <laughs> and in my mind, I think I I think I imagine that people are going to say like, "Oh, they're such jerks" or something, or like right. you know, I I imagine that that. But but it's funny. People have a lot of. Um, empathy for I, th I think like basically Daniel and Miles did such a great job of creating these characters and like also indicating why they are the way they are um, both, both ladies have some charm even despite like Lillian's kind of boxed up repressed oh really yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's good um, yeah. and, and, and Lillian's like overtly mean to a teenager, a very young teenager, which is... That's why I found charming, though. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's funny, right? Because it's like you kind of get in the film, they're sort of saddled with this teenager who's related to their employer, and they have to give her a role in this big performance. And so you understand from their perspective why they're frustrated. They're a duo all the time, so why is there this third wheel kind of thing? But Lillian is so mean to her, this lovely, sweet person. And it's funny, I like that kind of stuff where you kind of feel empathy for people that you know have com conflicting objectives it's like i understand why lillian doesn't want her here and is vocalizing that but also like you can't help stepping back and going like well that she doesn't have to be quite so mean yeah you know? but it's uh, people i think people are, are responding to that empathy in the film they don't find the characters alienating because we are rooting for them to succeed at this you know bizarre little uh, thing that they care so much about it's a balance right because like lillian anytime you'd want to do something creative or artistic mm -hmm. you need like that kind of um you need lillian's kind of like go get her like stay on course like yeah. hem it in like stay focused yeah right you need that rigidity to kind of get it done otherwise you would just kind of be sitting in doing like her sidekick or one of your sidekicks, like just look into clouds all the time and just like and just not focus at all and maybe get some stuff done maybe just go to the beach maybe you hook up with a boy whatever it is like you just kind of just go be doing different stuff and you wouldn't necessarily be as efficient or as like get quote-unquote getting it done and so you need both sides of that yes it's kind of a neat coin that way for sure and i think audrey's character the other uh, half of the duo like she is less structured and she has like pure talent, but not necessarily. And, and she has drive, but not in a way where she's like 
putting in all the work and and doing all the structuring of things to make it work out for her her drive is almost more like desperation it's like i need this to work i need this to work and i will try really hard to make this work but it's all related to the art it's all about like i will rehearse this for seven years if that's what it takes to get this character right you know but she can't do any of the like work work um that goes into finding these gigs and 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 so she's helpless and i think it it creates a kind of codependency between the two of them that they don't really realize is happening is audrey kind of resents lillian for being this structured person who thinks pragmatically about the business needs and all that and the schedule and you know the compromises they have to make while she's able to kind of resent that while still completely needing it yeah, and that's what keeps them. You know, that's what kind of forces them into a, a yeah, a codependency. Yeah, Lillian's a lot like the subway, right? She goes stop by stop, <laughs> and you kind of know, and it's all mapped out. Whereas Audrey is like more like a Uber driver, and she'll take different shortcuts <laughs> and things like that, but she still gets there. Yeah, partially mm-hmm. because Lillian is telling her yeah. when to go where and and all that, and of course, you know, Lillian's um, control and structure of things has its problems and that's revealed as it goes on. Lillian is dealing with the consequences of being the business side and having to manage somebody else and, and, and maybe have given up on her ambitions in the process. And I think Lillian works really hard to construct a bubble that they're in where they're doing what they love and they, she can totally maintain that until they step outside of it. And that's a big thing even early in the film is once they're around their peers who are successful in theater and the arts suddenly they shrink and they go oh my god we're we're such losers yeah and that's and that that really starts to poke holes in Lillian's defense so when we're introduced to her i think we think like wow she really is completely content <laughs> to do these corporate things and i think she's able to construct this reality that Audrey and hopefully the audience even believe at the beginning of the film, which is like, maybe this is enough. Maybe they can just do this and ace these performances. And they've found a new form of theater improbably, but it's just once they're confronted with the, the peers who they went to school with, who are now doing plays and getting financing for their own projects, it, it, it they're confronted with something and particularly Lillian is confronted with something that, that makes it hard to keep doing what they're doing. And speaking of audiences, it's playing uh, Friday, December 8th at the Carlton. So after you've done a number of film festivals, you're coming home. Yes. So that must be super exciting to do it in front of a home crowd. Yeah, it's very exciting. I, I think um, so So many strangers have seen this movie that I'm very excited to know what people who live in Toronto and I think people who, um, well, it's not, well, the film doesn't precisely kind of satirize Toronto's art and performance scene it does kind of speak to some aspects of it so it'll be interesting when people who do make theater and art and performance and music here come to see it and kind of get some of the jokes and see some of the locations and maybe can kind of like um project themselves into it a little bit we know some of these people yes yes yeah and it's it got picked up by uh, a level film Level film, yeah. Yes. And so they'll be distributing it after this, after the screening, after the Carlton? Is that the plan? They're or? distributing it uh, theatrically. So they're doing the, the screening at the Carlton, and then we're opening wider in Canada after that. And then we are aiming to open in the United States in the new year. Okay. Yeah. And for the for the Carlton screenings, though, you do have some special guests and some people will be doing some Q&As and yes. some fun stuff. Are you allowed to say anything? Or oh, yeah, just absolutely. Wanna... So Friday... 
um, December 8th. Uh, at 6.30, we are, so it'll be me, Naomi, uh, Claire, who plays the other, who's the other lead actor in the film, and Miles, my co-writer, will be there doing a Q&A um, that's being organized by First Weekend Club. Um, and the screening will be introduced by Todd Graham, who plays their employer in the film and is a very funny Toronto stand-up comedian um, who was just on, uh, just had a Just for Laughs All Access special on Comedy Network that's very funny. Um, uh, he's introducing that screening. He's also introducing the Saturday screening where all of us um, will be back doing the Q&A. And then um, Sunday we are um, doing a screening in partnership with Bechtel Tested, um, and uh, Erica Shiner is going to do our Q and A um, there, and then on Monday night we have a kind of Ryerson University focused event because uh, my producing partner Josh Claver, our DP, and one of our lead actors um, are all Ryerson grads. So there's going to be kind of a Ryerson focused event. Yay, Ryerson! On Monday. So those are all for the six thirty screenings from Friday to Monday. And for you, Naomi, what are you working on next now? Are you going to still stick with uh, acting and kind of get in front of the camera? Or are you going back to the, the critic's chair and kind of reviewing things or <laughs> balancing both? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do more acting. I, I have a few little things um, related to stage um, kind of percolating. Um, yeah, uh, hopefully all of the above. I like to do it all <laughs> fair enough yeah. where can people find you online on the internet like well i'm on twitter <laughs> um uh, my my handle is uh at a woman squarned which is might be hard to spell but it's a it's anyway um and then i'm on instagram as uh, naomi sk uh, i don't have a personal website but i'm on google Okay. <laughs> and you, sir, either you or the film, where can people find you online? Um, yeah, well, the film has a website, Um I am on Twitter as well, but I, I have to say I don't use it very frequently, so I apologize in advance. I'm Mr. Daniel Worth um, on Twitter. Um, yeah, and um, probably best to follow the film, at Dim Fluorescence. It's a bit more active. All right. And my name is uh, Sam Yunin. Uh, I'm on Twitter at MyPalSammy. Thank you guys for coming in and talking about Shoppers Drug Mart and uh, hitting the pharmacy section of the Shoppers Drug Mart and talking about Toronto and the Toronto scene and theater and uh, independent film, Go Indiegogo. We covered a lot. Like, we did, yeah. Thank you, Sam. So, and Blazers. Oh, the Blazers. So many yeah. Blazers. <laughs> I know. We didn't, I don't think we covered enough Blazer information. <laughs> I think we only just scratched it. So. Also, like along with the Blazers, we needed to talk. We should have talked about loafers. That's, an, that's another unspoken aspect of the film. But anyway, another day. Okay. Maybe, <laughs> maybe at the Carlton Q&A, one of the, yes. one of the yeah, A lot of the questions <laughs> tend to be about loafers. Yeah. Okay. So there we go. We only covered the Blazer, but we'll leave the loafers for the audience. <laughs> so we'll let them do the Q&A with the loafer question. Uh, Thank you guys for coming in. Thanks and so much. Thank you.